Hello Sixes, welcome to Life Uninhibited. I'm your host, Kristen Messagy, Enneagram Six, Life Coach for Sixes. In this episode, I dive back into our relationship to authority through a different lens than I've talked about it before. It was a little bit tricky to get through, but I made it. There's a lot of stuff in here. I can't wait to hear what you think. Hello Sixes, welcome back. I have a great topic today. I say great because I feel like it's meaty. I feel like it's very much the heart of type six stuff. It's not fun. It's kind of painful. So that will be fun for us. First, I want to say that those of you that really like the interviews that I've been doing, those are coming back. I am in the process of putting my fall schedule slash life back together after summer. I don't remember summer like kind of ruining everything before I had kids, but (laughs) oh, it's really a lot. It's really a lot. Um, Anyway, that's ending in two days. I've got two pre-adolescents in my house who are about to be in middle school. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. So my system is not quite at the recovery stage of all of that, but it's it's coming back online. I'll probably use some of this as an example in the second half of the podcast. So what we're going to be talking about today, I don't really know what we call it, But the idea is that part of our security seeking and secure orientation has to do with perceived authority and really this sense that we carry that we are going to get in trouble or that we are going to be unjustly punished for something. And so we have strategies that are kind of protecting us from that. The other way this can look is I'm going to lose support or someone is going to be mad at me or disappointed in me. This can also come out as approval seeking. So all of these different sort of subconscious stories and behaviors are around this idea that we essentially are worried that we're going to get in trouble. So I'm going to talk about it from a theory standpoint, and then I'm going to give some examples because sometimes the theory and the real life stuff doesn't always immediately show itself to us. So here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to use a particular part of a book. The book I'm going to talk from today is personality types. This one is Don Riso and Russ Hudson. They are, they are wonderful. They have given us the Enneagram Institute. Odds are most of you know who I'm talking about, Riso and Hudson. They're um, very much entrenched in the Enneagram of personality that most of us are very familiar with. So I like their straightforward way of describing things. This is the thing about finding your Enneagram teachers. They don't all sound the same. They don't all have um, compassion in the way that they teach. Some people 
really like that. Some people don't care. We really just get to pick and choose from the good ones. So I like the straightforwardness of this book quite a bit. And in the type six chapter around this topic, the heading of the section here is called parental orientation. So this really is the way they set it up. Essentially, it's like as sixes, we didn't quite finish the individuation process that if we're if we're talking psychology, you know, the idea, the theory. And again, remember, this is all theory. This does not make things factual. This is theory. The theory goes that we are little people. And then as we come up through adolescence, we go through this push-pull with our authority figures, you know, in most cases, our parents or whoever is our guardian. And we we start to separate from that person as what we want to do, because the idea is that we, you know, pop out of this process as this individual. We have individuated. And what does it mean to be an individual? It means that we have our own sense of ourself. We know what we think. We are kind of, you know, marching to the beat of our own sense of ourself in the world. That's sort of how the theory goes. And the way that they're talking this through is that sixes haven't really completed that individuation process. And we could talk about and debate all the live long day, sort of maybe why or whatever. We're not going to do that. In this podcast, we're just going to kind of go with that framing that as sixes, we didn't quite finish that individuation process. And so here we are as adults still looking for this sense of ourselves, right? We don't have it, so we're looking for it. And we are looking toward individuals, uh, structures, systems, all the things that we think are actually going to help us feel independent, feel like ourselves. So it's, it's paradoxical in that we are looking outside to complete that inside work. I'm looking to this person or this belief system or this whatever so that I feel like myself finally, right? I feel individuated. So this has to do with functioning independently. Now, I do want to do a little bit of an aside here because it's my podcast and I can. And bring in some of my own ideas, which I will just tell you, my body just had a very strong reaction to that idea. (laughs) It's like, you should not do that. That feels scary. Yes, it does feel a little bit scary, but I'm just going to speak plainly. There is something of a societal ideal here that we are all these complete individuated individuals, that that somehow makes for, um, I don't know, the best human. And I kind of get it. We do. We do want to have a sense of ourself in the world and who we are and what we are about, for sure. At the same time, not a single one of us could actually function 
if it was just us in the world. Like that doesn't even make sense. I mean, I will say my husband is probably the most competent human I know. He still couldn't exist in the world if it was just him. We are social creatures. We really do need each other. We really do need community. That's just the way that humans are wired. And I have a lot of thoughts about the isolation of individuals and how harmful that is to our actual whole beings because we aren't actually made to be alone or operate alone uh, for like our whole life. So so there's something in this, like there's something in the psychological theory that isn't quite right. And the reason that I'm saying this is because I think we shame ourselves so much for how much we want to really be attached to other people. I think that it's framed in the literature as a problem. And again, I like I said, I get it. I understand. I understand in my own body. And I understand that we do want to feel like we have a sense of ourselves. Of course, that's literally what so much of the work is. However, we want to be careful about the framing that we're setting ourselves up against because what are we actually saying? And are we careful about that? And are we kind to ourselves about that? And is there something in sexiness that is able to truth tell more about the fact that we actually need community and we actually need other people in our lives? I think you might have guessed there's something in sexiness that is crucial in terms of I don't know, kind of standing for this need. And I will also say that that's particularly painful for me as a six that really struggles with community. I really have a hard time being in community. Many sixes, that is absolutely what they do to feel safe. So even as I share sort of my ideas here, I want you to hear me say like, that's hard for me. I I would love to be able to like, be alone all the time. (laughs) I think, right? I think I'm most comfortable by myself. And if everyone could just kind of leave me alone sometimes, then that would be great. However, I know that a huge part of my work is actually to open up more and more and more to community groups, etc. Okay. So that was a very important part of the framing that I really want to bring here because I agree that as sixes, we did not sort of complete this individuation process, but I also think there's value in that. I don't think that's something to feel shamed about or to think means there's something wrong with me or with you or any of that. I think that these paradoxes are part of the truth of life, right? That yes, We want to individuate perhaps a bit more and we make all the sense in the world and are probably showing the world, hey, we actually need each other here. Okay, so now that I've said all of that, let me continue here. Okay, the other thing, I thought I was done ranting here, but I'm I'm not quite done apparently. So 
we are going to talk a lot about really worrying what other people think about us. This is what this whole thing is really around. It's like we're so concerned with what other people think about us. And primarily, do they have the right thoughts about us to keep us safe, right? And attach to them or the group or whatever. And a lot of times, and a lot of teaching will say, you just have to care less what people think about you. Or, you know, I'll have clients a lot of times who are like, oh, so I'm just not supposed to care what people think about me, or I just need to not care what people think about me. And I hate that. That is not accurate. That is not human. That is not what we're doing here. What we want to do is have a balance, more balance in terms of how do I think about myself and I want to make sure that I am valuing myself, that I am approving of myself, that I have my own back in the decisions that I make and the choices that I make, et cetera, et cetera, as much as I'm oriented to what does that person think? Uh, you know, am I doing the things, do enough people in the group like me that I'm safe or whatever? It is not one or the other. And it's just not, it, we're, we're always creating like more in terms of how I frame all of this work. It's like more. So it's not just that I care what other people think. It's that I equally care. I hold as valuable and as important what I think. It is not one or the other. Okay. <laughs> I got all, all riled up on that one. Okay, now, now we really will move on. Okay, so diving into what the book has to say here, I love how I was like, I'm going to start with theory and then do something. And then instead, I just spent 10 minutes um, talking about what I think about things. Whatever. It's fine. Moving on. Okay, getting back into the book and the theory here. I also just want to say I treat all this so incredibly tenderly. Anytime we're really talking about how any human perceives or perceived their protective figure, it's just really tender stuff. I mean, most humans I know did not have, myself included, the childhood that they wanted or that they feel they should have had. Or for many, 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 it was really quite terrible. And that's all in here in my in my heart as I talk about, you know, going back to how we felt about our protective figure. One more thing I do want to say is that something that comes up that I think is really painful for sixes is there's sort of this idea in the Enneagram ether, I don't know why, that Six specifically, type six strategies come from trauma or abuse or, you know, really bad wounding. The reason that's so problematic is it has this whole idea that other numbers don't. It's very strange to me why this exists. I've heard it so much from sixes. I've seen it in so many comment threads that, like, well, I would have been this number, but because of this, it turned me into a six. 
These are just not beliefs that I hold. And if you do read the literature, it it doesn't it doesn't read that way. It it does not read that way. Every number is a protection. Every number's strategies are to protect self, right? The tender self for so many different reasons got hidden, got tucked away in childhood. And the way that that tucking away manifests is specific to each number and then is even more specific to the instinctual strategies that you use or whatever your tri-type strategies are. So every human is dealing with some degree of having their true self hidden and then the strategies used to keep that self hidden. We just happen to have a particular set of strategies And I just wanted to say that too. Apparently, this is actually just the podcast where I say all the random things I think. You also get to (laughs) decide how you think about things. The reason I do like to share my framing of things is because it's all rooted in true beliefs that there's nothing wrong with us. And there's certainly nothing particularly wrong with us, which I hear a lot. And it upsets me quite a bit because that kind of belief system is so harmful to self. It's so painful to think that there's something particularly wrong with you. I just have so much uh, empathy for that belief system. And it's, it's just not a fact. It's not, it's not real. It's a story. And it's a story that serves some purpose. So I'm not even mad that that story exists. I just really feel the pain of it for people. Okay, I've studied the Enneagram in a trauma-informed container. Every single number strategies comes from wounding. And of course, the degrees differ. Of course they do. The degrees of wounding differ. Okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm all fired up and emotional today. So here we are, and we're, you know, maybe not fully differentiated or individuated or whatever. And so we are perpetuating whatever the relationship is that we had to our protective figure. We have, we're perpetuating that same subconscious relationship as the adults that we are. So if, my way of handling my relationship with my protective figure was to, you know, identify with everything that they believed and they thought and maybe the systems that they put me in or whatever, and that's how I felt safe, then that is what I'm going to be doing as an adult. I'm going to be inside these systems for protection, for safety. I'm going to be able to know what I should be thinking, how I should be operating, and I'm going to feel really safe and secure inside of those structures. The problem comes up here when the authority figure or the system itself, the six senses some sort of 
mm, some sort of betrayal, some sort of inconsistency. It can also be the six starts to question things and then is bringing a different lens to the person or the system or whatever. And that is where that particular framing of six is going to start to have problems. It's like, what is happening? There's a chink in the armor of support. And then you're going to see a whole bunch of sixy behavior come out. The other orientation to the protective figure is going to be one of strife and struggle and um, adversarialness. So this is more my type of six, right? I I am very suspicious of most system structures, authorities, and have a history <laughs> of going toe to toe with any and all of them. And that is a recreation of, you know, the uh, relationships that I had with my protective figures as a child. So I, I keep that going into my adulthood. And that's what I'm dealing with. If you were tucked in and felt safe and secure or really wanted that, that's what you might be bringing forward into your adult relationships. And of course, we can have a mixture. Of course, this is not all or nothing. When... I think of my primary relationship. I do not have that uh, that thing going on. I'm very safely tucked in there. And I do everything I can to keep that. So it's not that we're one way in every area of life. You also might find people who are um, sixes who they're safely tucked in like outside the home and system structures, workplaces, churches, all these different things. But but in their home, it is the very adversarial thing going on. If they don't maybe feel like their partner is trustworthy or reliable, you're going to see that more adversarial relationship. So this is not all-encompassing that we are one way or this way. We are just looking at this. These are all the different ways to be in relationship to protective figures and structures. And most of us have a variety depending on all of the things. Okay. So to kind of sum up the theory that I've tried to intersperse, but ended up just saying a lot of words. The idea here is that as sixes, we are repeating continuing the relationship that we had with our protective figures to some degree in certain situations. And sometimes we do it the other way in different situations. The two sort of quote ways being one, we kind of tuck in and under and really let ourselves be led. And the other one is that we are very against and questioning and you know, really creating this adversarial relationship. So yeah, that's all going on. Okay, then I wanted to read this part. And this is just a little, ugh, it doesn't feel good, but then we're going to bring it into like, what does this actually look like in the real world? So straight from the book, sixes abandon themselves to gain support of their protective figures. They believe if they get enough support, they can become independent. This is because sixes feel cut off from an internal guidance 
their own ability to move forward in the world with confidence. So even your more blustery, counterphobic interactions with authority are really in order to change the authority, not the six feeling like, I've got this. I'm okay. I have a sense of confidence in the world. It's this attempt to change the authority so that they can be the authority that the six needs. Okay, back to the book. Because they do not trust their own inner guidance, sixes internally question their activities to see whether they will meet the internalized standards of the protective figure. Their super ego. Like ones, sixes are often trying to figure out the right course of action. They attempt to do this by thinking about how their various mentors, allies, and authority figures would respond to their choices. Even if you don't relate to the inner committee idea of sixes, which I don't generally, I absolutely can see my brain being like, what would that person think? What would that person think? What would that person think? Right? It's it's different. It's not like I hear those voices. It's that my brain automatically checks my choices against how I imagine these different people in my life responding. Sixes may go round and round in this process for days if the decision is a major one because they are afraid of alienating any of their supporters. Man, I'm telling, this book just has a way of saying this stuff. I'm like, yeah, right? So right now, there's some things that I'm thinking through in my life and I know how to do the work of connecting to my own authority and doing it that way. That's not the automatic thing that happens. The automatic thing that happens is what would that person think? What would that person think? What would that person think? Even though I know how to do the work to connect to myself and what I think, that is still the automatic thing that happens. I really want you all to hear this because what I hear from my clients so often is they're like, well, I just don't want the automatic stuff to happen. And to that, I say, huh, (laughs) it's going to happen. It's going to happen. How we relate to the automatic things happening is the name of the game. Okay, highly counterphobic sixes may well bluster at authorities they see as unfair, but they too need their support network and do not want to take actions which might jeopardize it. This is so important. Counterphobic behavior is not independent, even though it can really feel that way and it certainly can look that way from the outside. Less healthy sixes may undermine their support system because I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase here. I don't like the words used here. Um, less healthy sixes may undermine their support system because of their, let's call it intense reactivity, but they will then go to great lengths to reconnect with some other source of security. So there is this thing in sixes where even if we blow something up, which we do sometimes, 
we will find support somewhere else or we will continue to try, right? It's like we need that, we need that buoy. We need that connection. We need that sense that someone approves of what we're doing or has our back. Okay, lastly, in all sixes, the pattern of orienting themselves to life by obtaining the reassurance and approval of others is one which is deeply ingrained in their nature. Deeply ingrained in our nature. This is just a tough one for me. I I personally, I'm not a fan, even though I accept it. So, you know, what does this look like in real life? Hopefully, if you're listening, you have lots of examples of how this plays out in your life. But here's what I want to do is add some framing on the back end of this, okay? I sort of, I seeded this framing in my earlier rant that the truth is we need each other. We need other people in our lives. It is not bad or wrong to want support, to desire approval, to want other people to like us. There's just nothing wrong or weird about that. How we go about getting those desires met, do we hide ourselves to do so? This is when we get on shaky ground. Do we value other people's ideas about us or perceived ideas about us over our own sense of ourselves? To me, this is the biggest thing and the most realistic way to approach this is that we're looking for a balance, right? I want to value what I think of myself, how I'm showing up in the world, the choices that I'm making, the things that I have done, the ways I'm going to move forward. I want to value my sense of that at least equally as my brain imagines other people you know, how they're orienting to me and how I'm doing things. I want to be able to create a balance there. And I want to have the internal capacity to hold if there is some tension there, if there is some difference there. One of the things we're really talking about here is capacity to hold if someone else has a different idea in their mind, if someone else is disappointed pointed in us or is even upset with us. This is really the sort of crux of the matter. Can my sense of self hold in the face of someone else whose approval I really want? What if they don't approve of something I'm doing? Can I hold? Can I stay? Without, oh, without the counterphobic thing coming in and like this like raging defense of self and sort of squashing of the other person. Because that's, it's this whole like, I'm either going to collapse or I'm going to whoosh, kind of go up and over. There's a lot of fire in how I see counterphobic behaviors in relationship. And this happens in sixes who identify as phobic sixes. They don't necessarily see it or own it, but it happens. There's this like heat and rage and fire and the anger kind of comes up because the sick system can get so disoriented and it's just seeking certainty. 
Okay, that was a tiny little, tiny little off, tiny little tangent. Anyway, this is really what we're talking about. How can we have a sense of ourselves in the face of actual or perceived disapproval, disappointment, other people being upset with us? This is the emotion that we get to build internal tolerance for. This is the discomfort that we want to be doing on purpose. I think I said last week, part of what our work here is, can we build our capacity to be with the discomfort of not doing our automatic strategies? So in this frame of sort of walking around worried that we're somehow going to get in trouble, we want to be able to have someone actually be upset at us and stay and be who we actually are, knowing that's going to feel bad. What people want is they want those things, if they occur, they say, well, I don't want to care. I don't want to, I don't want it to matter. It's like, no, it's going to matter. It's going to matter. That's the discomfort that if we can feel and be within our bodies, oh, there we are. We can actually have a disagreement and both people can still be there as whole people, having a difference of opinion, having a difference of thought. You can see how if collectively, okay, this is another one of my personal things, if we could collectively build these capacities, you can imagine how we might be able to have different conversations and, you know, things might be different. Okay. I I don't really know how I feel about today's podcast. I went in a lot of different directions, but I think I like the things I said. So I'm, I'm going to stick here. I'm going to hold. I am going to re-listen. If it's trash, you won't hear any of this. But if it's okay, I'm going to release this as is because I think I said some good things. Okay. That's it. I'm, I'm done talking. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, please quickly go give the podcast a hopefully five-star rating. Leave a review if you're feeling really generous. It truly helps more sixes find the podcast. And I would be so appreciative. I'll be back with y'all next week.